so we don't have any, <clears throat> we never had any preachers come out of our scout troop, but we do have a preacher who is a scout, so that's the consolation prize, I guess. Not a very good one necessarily, but you got, yeah, yeah, you got to take what you can get. And so uh, if you're uh, visiting with us, there's a, a pew Bible in the rack in front of you. Everybody else hopefully brought their Bible, Galatians, or not Galatians, Romans chapter 6. Uh, I want us to dig in. We're going to again be looking at a bunch of verses, so I really encourage you to open your Bible so you can follow along. Romans chapter 6 as we dig into the Word of God together. So for those that are visiting this morning, we've been going through the book of Romans, one through chapters 1 through 8, which is the greatest explanation of the gospel that's ever been written. And we're kind of taking it in big sections to lay out the, the plan of salvation that God has given. We started uh, earlier a few weeks ago with the reality that you know, we are sinners and and last week we, we talked about where does the, the, the salvation through Jesus Christ that has come, where does that place us? And we talked about that it, it puts us in a place where we're actually at peace with God, which we weren't before. As you can see from your sermon outline, and if you're visiting this morning, there is a fill-in-the-blank sermon outline in your bullet, and you're welcome to follow along. Um, so now that we're at peace with God, the question then becomes, okay, now that I go forward, how do I, how do I live this out? And, and there's one particular idea that is easy, and it, this is very prevalent today, where folks get off track with the way that salvation is supposed to look, and that's what we want to focus on this morning, so that we can understand, now that I've received what Jesus has done for me, now that I'm at peace with God, what does He envision in my life as I walk forward? So, um, if you're in <clears throat> Romans chapter 6 there, we're again, we're going to go through almost the whole chapter. So I'm not going to read it now because we're going to hit <clears throat> almost everything as we, uh, as we go down through. And so keep your Bible open as we get started. I, I want to I share a, a story as we get started because I think this illustrates the big problem we're going to be talking about. I read of a pastor who was talking about, there was a, a member of his church that um, called him one Friday evening and said, I, I, need, I need to meet you for breakfast if you can. He goes, I have something I need to talk to you about. And so the pastor said, absolutely. So they met the following morning for breakfast. And, and at breakfast, this, um, this member of the congregation, he confessed to the pastor. He said, I, I was away on business uh, a few weeks ago. He said, um, there was a female colleague of mine there. Uh, we were drinking, which we shouldn't have been. Um, and we, we ended up sleeping together. And, and I know it shouldn't have happened. And so um, I, I wanted to come to you and and get your advice. And so the, the pastor kind of took a moment to, to be aware of, you know, the, the enormity of the situation. And then he began to give advice, you know, in terms of, of um, you know, recognizing the, the reality of the situation, how, how bad it was, you know, going to that, that co-worker and saying this can never happen again, you know, going to his wife and, and trying to, to make sure that the marriage was going to be solid going forward if, if, if you know, just, Going through, he just went through this litany of, you know, facing up to the issue and how he should deal with that. And after he'd given all of his advice, the guy just sat there looking at him. And then he said, Pastor, you disappoint me. I came today for grace, not discipline. And the pastor sat there wondering, where in my preaching did I fail so miserably 
that this person who is in my congregation thinks that grace is an excuse to continue to sin. If you look at verse 1 and verse 2, this is the problem that Paul starts with. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Let's start there with your sermon outline and ask if this is a loophole. Can we just keep sinning and use grace as an excuse? So the idea here that a lot of people kind of buy into, even though they wouldn't put it as boldly as Paul does, we said, we said in previous weeks, we understand that, that the way of, uh, of the law in terms of trying to earn your way to God, that doesn't work. Jesus Christ comes unto earth, Jesus dies for our sins, and he comes to us and he offers us salvation by what? By grace. And grace means that it's a free gift. I can't earn it. Jesus, we're going to talk more about this in a second, Jesus died in my place. And so I recognize that, that by grace I can be saved. All, the only thing I bring to the table is my faith in what Jesus did. But Jesus by grace has saved us, and so I can be forgiven this morning by the grace of God. Now let's make sure we're on the same page. If you believe this morning that we can be forgiven by the grace of God, say amen. So understanding that, the loophole that some people accused Paul of is, okay, well, and these, of course, were people who believed in the Old Testament law and doing it that way. Okay, if, if we can't earn our way to salvation by the law and you say it's by grace, well, then I'm just going to accept grace and say, well, I've been saved by grace and I'm just going to go right on sinning. And every time I sin, I'm just going to say, well, God, forgive me by grace. Well, God, forgive me by grace. Well, God, forgive me by grace. And the idea is there's a giant loophole, right? So I can just keep right on sinning and act like well, God's grace is going to forgive me. Now, here's where this applies to today. We don't, obviously, in our county have a lot of people who believe in the Old Testament law because we don't have a large Jewish population. But we do have a ton of people. And all across America, we have a ton of people who, if you ask them if they're Christians, they would say, oh, I've been saved by grace. And then they just keep right on sinning as though it's not a big deal with the thought that, well, you know, I know I, I, know I shouldn't have done it, but I'll just ask God for forgiveness. I'll just, I'll just ask God's grace to cover it. And so the idea is that, that grace is this thing that just can continue to cover me as I just keep right on sinning. And that's what he's asking in verse 1. Shall, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Hey, the more I sin, the more God's grace has to show up, right? So that's a good thing. No. Look at what he says in verse 2. Paul says, by no means. That is the strongest rebuttal he can give to that. He says, absolutely, you have completely misunderstood what I'm talking about. If you think that grace is a way for you to just keep right on saying and then just ask God for forgiveness every time, what grace is about is something completely different. And so what we want to do this morning as we get into this chapter is we want to unpack what Paul says here and, and find out, okay, what is, what does it mean to be saved by grace as a Christian in terms of going forward in my walk with God and in my walk in life. Now, in some previous sermons in the series, the concentration has been on those that are unsaved and kind of explaining what it means to be saved and, and all that. And so uh, a lot of these sermons have been more focused on those who aren't saved. This morning in particular, although I think everybody needs to hear this, but in particular, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you need to pay attention. Because this is something that so many Christians get wrong. And it represents a 
fundamental misunderstanding of what God is trying to do in your life. This is a, this is a gigantic issue. All right, let's go to the second thing and start to unpack what God wants to do. So we start with a spiritual truth, and that is this, our death. Our old self was crucified with Christ. Our old self was crucified with Christ. Now, that seems like a, a, a strange idea, but stick with me as we go through, and, and hopefully it'll make sense as we dig into this. Verse 3 says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that. We'll get into the order that for just a second. So let's talk about baptism as a picture. All right? And I say this every time I do a baptism. We're up there, and what do I say? I have the person in front of me. I say, okay, so there's, there's water in front of me. And, you know, we have the idea of baptism as a picture of us being buried with Christ, just like Christ was put in the tomb, and He was shut up for three days, and then He came back alive. Baptism, going under the water. Baptism is, it, baptism is a picture of being buried with Christ, and then being alive again. But baptism is a picture that we died with Christ and then are raised with Him. So when we talk about, when I say Jesus died for me, when I say Jesus died for me, that's not just a hypothetical, you know, I'm saved because Jesus died for me. Jesus died in my place. I was a sinner. I could not be justified by myself. I couldn't make myself right. Jesus took my sins, placed them upon Himself as He hung on the cross, and Jesus died for me. That sinful person who had no chance to get to God, He, by what Jesus did, He died on the cross with Jesus. And so, to go to what verse 3 says there, when we talk about, um, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His Death. The idea, the idea there is that Jesus died in our place and that old self was crucified with Jesus. So, I'll jump ahead for just a second. So when I talk about, when I say, uh, I'm a new creation in Christ. I, I'm a new creature in Christ. Well, what does that mean that I'm a new creation in Christ? One of the things that means is the old guy's dead. The old man is dead. The old person is dead. And so I, that old Jim Butcher who was sinful died on the cross with Christ, and now there is a new creation that has been raised by the power of Jesus Christ that I'm able to be a different person than I was before. Continuing on in verse 4 there, it says, in order that, halfway through verse 4, we were therefore, we were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Just as Jesus was raised up, so too when we believe in Him, we are raised to newness of life. We are raised to be a new creation in Christ. Verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, speaking of us receiving what He did for us, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. 
What's that mean? It means this. If I believe, and I do, that 40 years ago, that as I received Jesus Christ and what He did for me, and I received that into my life, and because of that, what's the, what's the phrase that is used there? As I've received that into my life, if I was united with Him in a death like His, if I said, I want the death of Jesus, I want His sacrifice for sin to apply to my life, if His death applied to me, how much more is His resurrection going to apply to me? I'm going to have newness of life. I'm going to have a, a life beyond this life whenever I die someday because of what He did. Verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with Him. That's what I was just saying. The old person that I was has been crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. For anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This is, this is really important. And this is where we're going to start to get into. Remember I said at the beginning, there's this misunderstanding of grace. That grace just means just keep right on sinning. Look at what 6 and 7 say there. Because this is crucial to understanding what He wants us to do. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him. The old Jim Butcher was crucified with Jesus on the cross. Jesus took my sins upon Himself so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. The, the person that I am naturally, the person who is sinful, that person Jesus took on the cross that we may no longer be slaves to sin. Before, I had no choice, but because of my natural uh, body and because of the sinful nature in the fall, I was a slave to sin. I couldn't get beyond that. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. That old person who could not help but sin, who was a slave to sin, Jesus took him upon the cross and he died on the cross. And now going forward and being a new creation, the new, this is important, the new being that God has made me is somebody who, what's verse 7 say, has been set free from sin. Now, that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that I will, that I can't sin, but it means that I never have to sin. It means that I've been made into a new creation that now, before I was stuck in my sin and I couldn't get out of it, but I've been raised to a newness of life and now I have the opportunity to live in a way that isn't trapped by sin. I can live beyond my sin if I choose to. Let me give you the third thing and then let's unpack how that works. So our resurrection is this. Through what Christ has done, we are free to live for God, not sin. Because of what Christ has done, we are free to live for God, not sin. So as we think about what He has done, He has freed us from that, that being that we were before, where we were stuck in our sin, we didn't have a choice. He has raised, He's made us a new creation and raised us to newness of life so that now I can live for God. Now I can live and, and not be trapped by my sin. Look at verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we, shall also, we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has any mastery over Him. The death He died... He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, 
he lives to God. Now, here's the part where we have to make a choice. Here's the part where we have to choose which direction we are going to go. Verse 11. In the same way, just like Jesus no longer has, no longer uh, is tied down by death, but he now has newness of life. <clears throat> In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I have to, each day, make the mental reality, okay, I'm no longer, I'm no longer stuck in my sin. I'm no longer somebody that has to give in. I have been raised to newness of life in Christ. I am alive in Jesus Christ. I am alive in newness of life. And so when I count myself and say, listen, this is who I am. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. And I count myself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. How then do I live? Look at verse 12. Therefore, so understanding that, that I am a new creation in Christ, I'm no longer trapped the way I was before. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Don't, do not suffer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin no, shall no longer be your master. Let me pause there. I'll get to the last little part here in a second. So what that means is I'm now able to live, I'm now able to live for God through what Jesus has done for me, through the salvation He's brought, through the transformation He's given to me, I now no longer am stuck having to live, live for sin. But I can now I have the ability now through this new creation in Christ to live for God. Now here's the problem. A lot of people, a lot of Christians, I said we're going to focus on the Christians this morning. A lot of Christians either are unaware of that well, you know, I've been say I've been forgiven, but you know, I just got to keep living the way I was before. They're either unaware of that, or even worse, they don't want to live for God. Let's say, let's go back a hundred years in this town, and this is a gross example, but I'm using it. Let's say we go back a hundred years, and in this town, there's not indoor plumbing. Uh, there's, you know, you can't just turn on your faucet but you, you have to go down. There's a place where you can get water. But there's been problems with the, the, the river for a long time. And so when you go and get water, when you drink it, like, you know, it just messes your stomach up and you're running to the bathroom all the time and it's just like you're constantly sick and you feel terrible. And that's just your life. And then one day somebody comes into town and they've created this filtration system. And... They, you can go to them, and instead of getting the water you were getting before, which was making you sick all the time, and you felt horrible all the time, now you can go and get this water, and now, like, when you drink it, it's pure water, and you feel good. You, you no longer have all those horrible symptoms that you had before. Which place are you going to go to get your water? You know what a ton of Christians are doing? They're still going to the place that makes them sick. Jesus has offered us pure water. Jesus has offered us a chance to, to be able to live for Him. Jesus has offered us all that, and we're still like, you know what, I'm good in my sin. I'm just going to keep being angry, and I'm going to keep being lustful, and I'm going to keep being envious. I'm just going to continue in my sin. 
Jesus here has offered us a new life. He's offered us the ability to live beyond our, our sin. He's offered us the ability to live for God. And we look at that and we're like, I'm fine. I'm just going to continue in my sin. How insane would you have to be to be in that situation where pure water is being offered to you and you continue to drink the stuff that makes you sick? And yet that's what we do, many Christians, all the time. Jesus is offering us not just forgiveness of sin, but He's offering us a chance to live beyond our sin and be able to live for God. As you look at the end of verse 14 there, He brings out a point that's really important um, that goes back to the idea of grace. As we understand all that, let's go back to 14. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Now, going back to what we said at the beginning, a lot of times people interpret that to mean, I'm under grace, I can just keep asking for forgiveness and keep being forgiven and continue in my sin. That's, that's not what he means here. To go back to the beginning, the law is ineffective. Trying to get to God by the law doesn't work. We can't earn our way there, we're not good enough. And so, where the law didn't work, Jesus came and gave us a new way to be saved. The only way that's effective, which is by grace through faith. By grace through faith is an effective way to be saved. It actually transforms us. It actually makes us beings that can live beyond where we were before. It, it gives us the ability to actually live for God. And so when he says here in verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. He's not saying, so you can keep right on sinning. He's saying the opposite. Sin will no longer be your master. Why? Because I am under grace, and grace has effectively changed who I am, so that now I'm now a new being that can walk. I have the ability to walk with God as I go forward, because I'm not saved under the law. I am saved under grace, and grace has effectively transformed my heart. The idea here is not keep sinning no matter what. The idea is you have received the only thing and the thing that is the most effective to transform you. You are saved by grace. Not to keep sinning. You've been saved by grace. So you don't have to keep sinning. So as we understand that, let's look at 15 and follow. So as we understand that and as we receive that, it brings us down to a choice. For all of us who are Christians, we have a choice. You can't, we can't sit on the fence. We are either serving sin or righteousness. We are either serving sin or righteousness. Look at 15. So here, here's where it gets to, to where the rubber meets the road, where we have to decide as Christians, what are we going to do? 15 says, he's basically repeating the question from one. What then? Shall, and this is a Christian, this is a question for those of us that are Christians. What then? Shall we sin because we are under the law? Not under the law, but under grace? By no means. He's saying, if Paul was here today and you said, I'm saved by grace, so I'm going to keep on sinning, he would say, you're a complete idiot. By no means. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You haven't been saved by grace so you can keep sinning. You've been saved by grace so that you no longer have to keep sinning. 16. Don't you know that when you offer your bodies to someone as obedient slaves, you are, you are slaves of the one that you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. 
we have a choice. We can obey God or we can obey sin, but you're going to obey somebody. 17, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, that's the way we were before we were saved, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin. That's true of all of it. Why would we keep living in sin when we've been set free from sin? 19. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. It means obey God now. Make that your priority. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time, at that time, from the things you are now ashamed of? What consequences did sin have in your life? It was all negative. Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Now, the most famous verse in this chapter is the next verse. And, and we use it in, and I'm not opposed to it, we use it in, in, in trying to get somebody saved, and that's fine, but I want you to notice the context here. The context of the next verse is not going back here in previous chapters where we're saying, okay, here's how you can be saved. Let me explain to you how you can be saved. The context here is for those of us that are Christians, for those of us that believe in God, how are you going to live your life? That's what this whole chapter has been about. And look at what he says in 23. For the wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's not talking to the non-believers there. He's talking to us. And he's saying, why would you want to use grace as an excuse to continue to sin when the wages of sin is what? Death. Don't, don't continue to live in death. You have been set free by what God has done. Go forward and live for God. Make the choice to live for God because He has come into your life. Quit sitting on the fence and Quit even looking at grace as an excuse and instead say, I'm so thankful I've been saved by grace because being saved by grace is an effective way for me to actually be able to be made into a new creation and actually be able to live for God. Being saved by grace means we, we don't have to continue in our sin. I want to close with this story. Um, there's a story about Michael Jordan. Um, years ago, he was at a friend's house. The, the friend was the COO of the Charlotte NBA franchise. And everybody knows that Michael Jordan wears, you know, he's, he, he's been with Nike for forever and ever and ever. And he, they were getting ready to go out, he and the, the COO of the, of the Charlotte franchise. They were getting ready to go out, and he needed it. Michael didn't have a jacket, he needed a jacket. And his friend said, well, you know, I got a bunch of stuff in the closet in there. So he goes into the closet, and the closet was half Nike stuff, which Michael Jordan had given him, and half Puma stuff, which the, the fellow's friend, uh, one, of, one of the other players that was aligned with Puma had given him. So the closet is half Nike stuff and half Puma stuff. Michael Jordan walks in there. He sees that. He pulls all the Puma stuff off, carries it into the living room, lays it down on the ground, 
walks into the kitchen, gets a butcher knife, comes in and slits up all the Puma stuff. He goes and puts the knife back, and he comes back in, and he looks at his friend, and he says, when it comes to Nike, there is no sitting on the fence. You're either with me or you're not. Now, that's kind of insane, isn't it? To be that passionate about what you wear. I mean, you know, but for Michael Jordan, he was like, it is Nike or nothing. It's Jesus or nothing. Like, we've been invited to no longer live in our sin. We've been invited to be able to live for God. It's time to get off the fence. Recognize the amazing opportunity that's been given to us. Recognize, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death, and I don't want any part of that. And instead, walk forward as Christians. Not, well, I guess i got to do what God wants me. No, God is allowing you. God is giving you the gift of eternal life to be able to live for Him. It's an incredible gift that He has given. Embrace it. Because you have been saved by grace. Let's pray. Father, I ask You in this moment, for those of us that are here that are Christians, to recognize what You're calling us to. An incredible opportunity. Help us, Father, to see the great gift that you have given and to want it in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name.